Hey guys, just wanted to give you a heads up. My audio may sound off this episode. Uh, when we finished recording, we realized I forgot to turn my microphone on. So the audio you're hearing is actually recorded right on my computer microphone. It wasn't bad enough to uh, scrap this whole episode. And we talk about some great stuff about this Dracula movie. So we just wanted to give you a heads up and we'll have it fixed for next episode. Uh, thank you and hope you enjoy. We're going to expand our weekly video segment to take you into the back shelves of your local video store, back where it says horror videos, and where kids are devouring some awful films that we call the video nasties. Are you freebasing? Inquiring minds want to know. I have to break free from this culture of mechanical reproductions and the thick encrustations dying on the surface. But the prime time gets... Pain, I can assure you, will be exquisite. As for our deaths, come with me and be immortal. We have such sights to show you. We've got to return some video. Hello, horror hounds, and welcome to the It Slays podcast. I'm your humble host, Rowan. And I'm Lucy's operating gal, Mike. And last but not least, it's Colton. And we are back for a black and white episode uh this time not the michael jackson song i mean no we could have that playing <laughs> in the background uh you guys listen to audio you don't see video but i swear my fingers aren't crossed and i i, I promise where all of our video cameras are shooting in black and white right now oh of course yeah only a uh, stark contrast here that's right thing. we're the we're the snobbiest of movie snobs this mm, evening we're shooting something <laughs> But uh, we know where we're going to start. We're going to talk about what we've been watching, what we've been reading, what we've been listening to. Uh, you know, people are finally going to find out what Mike's been reading because he's just been shoving it into his camera for the last half hour. <laughs> and me and Colton's And messaging face. other people to read it. But so I'm excited to find out what it is. I don't know what it is. And we're going to make him wait. Colton, we're going to start with you. Oh, man. I was hoping Mike was going to go first this week. Uh, what have I been watching? Uh, we went to see The Northman. Rowan and I went to see the Northmen. And oh, yeah. We did. Yeah, we did a review of that on uh, Now Slaying. I'd probably say it's a... Uh, you know who didn't go see the Northmen? Anybody else. I was gonna say, yeah, like very low box office returns and uh, low downloads, I think, on our... Uh, podcast as well so no love for the northman i guess and you're not getting much more love here i think it's my least favorite of robert eggers movies it's still good but you know what's funny actually um the day that that came out i ran into our friend friend of the podcast willow and she was had just her and her partner had just come from their viewing of it and we talked about it for like 10 minutes and I'm totally on board to go see it. Oh, did I she like to, it? I, I wanted to see I it anyway, but like talking to her about it really made me want to go see it. Okay, I don't think I saw like her letterbox review because I do follow her on Letterboxd. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I thought I thought it was good. Just you know, I I love the lighthouse. Lighthouse is a masterpiece for me. Of and course, I think yeah. The, I think the witch is great as well. But uh, yeah, I was I was just a little bit let down by it. It's still worth seeing, of course, and I wish it did better than. I don't know, twelve million dollars or twenty million, whatever it made overall. Now, not very, not a lot. Well, you for know, its they had the seventeenth Spider-Man movie in twelve months out. So how could you compete? <laughs> well, I think it was Morbius sucking up all the box office. Whatever, them, some garbage comic book <laughs> movie that like I can't even care about anymore. <laughs> yeah, uh, 
In I see this as well. somebody who literally saw every MCU movie from the beginning in theaters. Yeah. I, just, I have to throw that out there. I'm not like a hater. I'm just, it, we, I think we've reached cultural saturation at this point. Yeah. So if you uh, want to send all your hate mail directly to Mike, you can go right ahead and do that for any of our <laughs> MCU fans. At Jacobian Tragedy on all social media <laughs> outlets. Perfect. Please, I, don't, I, don't I welcome your DMs. <laughs> Feed me your salt. I love sodium. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, other than the Northmen, I did a double feature this afternoon of Sonic the Hedgehog 2 and uh, The Bad Guys, which are two like children's <gasps> movies. Oh right my now. God, you saw The Bad Guys. I did. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. and I- I'm not lying. I think both the movies were actually good, which is pretty nice. surprising because uh, Sonic the Hedgehog 1, I thought was like, okay, you know, I, I thought it was going to be absolutely awful and it was actually all right. So the sequel I thought was even better. It was very wholesome. I love Tails in the movie. He's a great sidekick. And uh, the bad guys, it's shocked me. It's uh, very like reminiscent of like um, any like heist movies you've seen, like, you know, the Oceans movies, or um, it also has like a bit of Tarantino in it, which oh, is weird okay. for a kid's movie. But I mean, like it starts in a diner with two people talking about how they're going to rob a bank and like, oh, you know, my God, nice. that's like holding up the diner and stuff. And it's all brilliant. done in like one take, which obviously it's animated, but they're putting a lot of work into like the camera work and whatnot. It's really yeah. good. I, w- I was shocked by the bad guys. It was, it was a very good kid's movie. And uh, my theater was like half packed in the middle of the afternoon as well. So hopefully it's doing well for it. On a Tuesday. <laughs> Yeah, I know, right? I mean, yeah. usually here on Tuesday nights, like for cheap night, you get like you oh, know, sold yes, out yeah. showings. But yeah, in the middle of the afternoon, I think it was like two o'clock or something. So yeah, that was, that was pretty great. Uh, other than that, I saw I saw the Devil, which is uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with it. It's a I've heard of it. Yeah, it's yeah, it's a pretty like extreme uh, Korean thriller movie it's very gory which i think rowan would probably appreciate like it, there was a couple of like really good effects in it that had me kind of like squirm a little bit nice. um, but essentially it's about a serial killer that uh hunts women in korea and kind of like just disposes of their bodies and whatnot so essentially the hook of the story is just uh someone's fiance gets murdered and he's just like well fuck this guy i'm gonna track him down and torture myself essentially right so it's a very very grim uh korean like i said revenge thriller but uh yeah, it was really good. I, you know, it has great reviews. I'm not like, you know, breaking any new ground. Everybody already loves this <laughs> everywhere. But uh, no, I enjoyed it as well. So yeah, I guess uh, a couple of things I didn't enjoy too much. Uh, after last week's uh, episode or our last episode, I felt like the need to watch Cabaret and Repo, the genetic opera, because I felt like a little bit at odds. I felt like I was getting attacked from all sides because these two movies kept getting thrown back in my face at I never saw Repo <laughs> or whenever I'd bring up La La Land, I didn't see Cabaret. So I wound up choosing Cabaret for my weekly like movie night. And uh, like we were excited to watch it. And I don't know what it is, but after like two hours, you know, however long it is, we were so deflated. Like <laughs> neither of us enjoyed it very much at all. And I know Mike's a huge Liza Minnelli fan, but she didn't really do much for me in the movie, which might be sacrilegious to say, but I feel like she was just kind of coked out for a lot of the movie which maybe that's of the times but yeah i i don't know it wasn't for me well just so Mike everybody seems like knows he wants to jump in yeah <laughs> no i was gonna say just so everybody knows we talked we talked about it before recording and i've already forgiven you it's fine which, we're not we, so, the divorce papers have been shredded it's fine <laughs> yeah totally it's it. the type of thing where i i honestly went into the movie expecting to like it or even like love it because it does have a lot of uh praise online it does have a lot of oscar nominations but see and that's the thing when you go into a movie with like 
kind of inflated expectations. Like, I just saw it randomly. I was like, oh, this sounds kind of cool, you know? So I totally get that, like, you know, being set up for a movie can be, like, a very tragic experience. Yeah, it can be detrimental to it at times, for sure. And, like, your passion for the movie obviously had me excited to see it. And then my friend who I watched the movie with, she's a huge fan of musicals, so obviously she knew about Cabaret. And I loved uh, it, I think, as I told you, because it was not your typical movie musical, so... Yeah, it is it is different like you you were comparing it to la la land which is very fair in the fact that like both of them don't have a whole lot of music in the movie or a lot of you know uh musical numbers like singing um and i think this movie only had six or seven songs so that was fair i think one of the things i was kind of the most disappointed about the movie is that the backdrop of world war ii isn't like super prominent in the movie until probably about the last half hour or so it is very much just like a love triangle that's almost kind of like a love square or like a love triangle that goes both ways, you know, for yeah. a good portion of the movie that I, I didn't find quite as uh, intriguing. But yeah, I mean, it was the type of thing where when I watched it, I was like, I think that might be one of the worst movie musicals I've seen. But then I watched Repo a week later. <laughs> and, uh... <laughs> okay, I I don't know whether to like... <laughs> take that in a good way or a bad way but i'll take it no 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 it's a bad way i i uh i I know probably some of our listeners are big fans of repo we covered it on the podcast before i was involved and it was the type of movie like after i finished watching it i had to go and download your guys's episode and re-listen to it to it again to basically see like what did i miss because it was the type of thing where i was like Nobody can sing in this mu- movie musical. All of the lyrics were like written by a 12-year-old. They had like no symbolism or no like metaphor. There was nothing to it. It was all just blunt. Um there was no coherent narrative. It was just strung together with these expository com- comic book scenes. And then it was also like it just looked all so cheap. Like it all looked it was so visually unappealing to me the entire time that like honestly it was a chore to sit through. I I have nothing good to say about the movie, so. While I agree with your critique, I just want to say, I have one thing to say, and it's that no musical has subtle symbolism. <laughs> it's Dude. all the fucking songs are straightforward trash. <laughs> okay, you're, you're, you're saying no subtle symbolism, which might be, maybe that is like a misspoke on my half, but like Sweeney Todd last episode has loads of wordplay and lots of like, uh, double oh, entendres and play. Okay, gotcha, yeah, and, gotcha, gotcha. You know, there there is like other ways to say things other than like I'm gonna make a hole and fuck it, like you know, or whatever. Like that is a direct quote from Repo. I'm pretty sure one of the songs. Like it, it is all very blunt and it is not clever whatsoever. That was the I, thing. I feel I like... like I like the straightforwardness. I think that's why I love Repo. It's very it, straightforward. It just... It's very much like. It's hot. <laughs> and I will say, like Mike, we already discussed this at the beginning of the podcast, so everyone can know that me and Colton haven't worked out our differences, and fuck him. No, we're so still We did, yeah. though. Me and Colton did, so we're fine. It's just the two of them you have to worry about. <laughs> yeah, like, the only good thing, I guess, I said I have absolutely nothing good to say about the movie. What I'll say is Night Surgeon was okay. It was probably the most competent song in the movie, and I forget what the main guy's name is. It Anthony Head? Is yeah. that correct? Anthony Stewart Ash. Yeah, so I think he can sing if it's in a very specific register and i think that song is definitely structured to kind of be to his advantage he is pretty good in that song and i will say sarah brightman who mike was basically saying like you better not say anything bad about her (laughs) i I will i will admit uh her opera like number near the end of the movie i was surprised by i was like okay this this is another part that is competent for sure but i mean you know when they save that till the end because it's like 
an apex. <laughs> and so that was basically all I had good to say about the movie. But it was just so funny because you guys were almost like saying it, how it was like a masterpiece I felt like last week or like how great it was. And when I listened back to the episode... Mike, you gave it an okay and said you weren't really actually that big of a fan of it. And Rowan, you were teetering on a yay or an okay, and you literally went like, I guess I'll give it a yay. So, like, this isn't, like, some great movie (laughs) musical. I listened back. (laughs) Okay, but to be fair, yes, you're right. But I... (laughs) The, that in that context, I'm placing it next to Sweeney Todd, which I really didn't enjoy, largely because Johnny Depp was in it. So there we go. That's all I have to say. <laughs> but uh, what I'm going to say is, you rated them both the same on the show. They both got OKs from yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, and, but uh, yeah, but but and I don't and, know. I, and I said this in my letterbox as you saw. Um, yeah, one of them had Sarah Brightman and one of them didn't. So <laughs> that is true. But they yeah. both had Anthony Stewart head weirdly oh yeah yeah i forgot yeah yeah he has a that's, cameo, that, right? i, I just talk? actually yeah. just that kind of just clicked into me it's weird repo is a rewatchable yay that that and it's a rewatchable okay that's why so, and I'm, so and i will say okay? this i'm gonna give i am going to give and as i said i don't i don't even remember if i said it t- during the recording or before or after at this point, but I did have technical issues while I was watching Sweeney Todd. You so did say I am, that. Yeah. I am willing to give Sweeney Todd another chance. I will give up another two hours of my time and rewatch that when I can fully experience it with like good sound and you know like kind of like watch it like it's meant to be watched essentially so stay tuned i may have a mea culpa um, moment coming up in the near future who knows what i'll say is uh, i'm not as mature as mike so i'm not giving up another 90 <laughs> minutes of my life to rewatch repo I, I watched that expecting it to be good and i sat down in the afternoon and uh yeah now like i said it, it's definitely the worst movie musical i've ever seen it's it's i can't even comprehend how it got made but I'm glad you guys like it. Uh, I'm sure some of our listeners like it as well. It's, uh, you know, it has a cult following, but uh, yeah, it's just not for me. I like it like trash. You know what I mean? Like I can admit something's not a good movie and still enjoy it on a trash level. So Well, I can too. That's why I love Troll 2. It's just some things oh are like God. abject yes, okay. trash. Well, oh, yes. And then some things are fun Thank trash. Thank you for reminding me of like our context here. You liked Troll 2. I forgot. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, so I've now watched I know a lot not of... to take this seriously at all. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, I know I've watched a lot else besides that. But uh, you know, I don't want to take up the entire show. I don't want to pull a Rowan, so I'll, I'll throw it over the mic. What what have you been watching or consuming recently? Um. Okay. So first of all, I need to maybe throw some shade at Rowan Exilia. Oh no! Oh no! Who both texted me about this goddamn Netflix show, The Ultimatum. <laughs> oh, this oh, yeah. That's garbage, like right up your alley, isn't it? What I'm going to call... Oh, yes, it's right up... Yeah, listen. It oh, is right 100%. up my alley because it's complete fucking trash. And you know I love my trash. Oh, but yeah, it's this yeah. just absolute hetero nonsense. Like, Ugh. I'm watching it going, what the fucking hell am I watching? Who are these people? <laughs> Who are these 22-year-olds giving each other marriage ultimatums? 22. Like, are you, like you barely graduated out of university. <laughs> like, why are yeah. you? They're like, I'm not financially stable. Girl, you're probably working at Wendy's. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not saying that with any critique. Like, it's like, literally, you're 22 years old. Like, yeah, it's just a fact anyway, of the matter. Yeah. And, and of course, it's 
hosted by Nick and Vanessa Lachey, which is a whole other stratosphere of stupid. <laughs> yeah. Let's I'm I'm gonna just be blunt about that right now. But I can't stop watching it. Because it's complete trash and... You're welcome. You're welcome. The the two of them, they both, like, they were, like, tag-teaming me. It was, like, one would text me and tell me to watch it, and then the other one would be like, oh, yeah, here's what I think about it, and you have to watch it, and you're going to love it. So, anyway, I've been watching that, um, sort of against my own free will, but now I'm addicted to it because it's garbage, and mm-hmm. I love watching garbage while I'm eating at work. So, there we go. But other than that, you know, I've been consuming my Real Housewives, Shut Your Traps... Listen, every week is going to be the same thing. I'm on New yeah. Jersey right now. I'm on season four. We're just, we're going through it. Um, But my main thing I want to talk about, which Bro alluded to earlier, and I just knocked some stuff over, <laughs> is they re-released a classic rock and roll memoir just in time for her being dead. <laughs> it's Be My Baby by the legend, the icon herself, Miss Ronnie Spector, who you may know as the voice of the Ronettes, aka the greatest song of all time, Be My Baby. And it's about her career and her life and her insane relationship with Phil Spector. And she unfortunately passed away in January, devastatingly. But actually, it's funny because I thought they pushed this out to cash in on her death, but uh, they were apparently going to re-release it anyway, and they got Keith Richards to do an introduction to it because he was friends with her, and it was dated in 2021, so it was before she died, so... It was just oh, sad good. coincidence. Yeah. yeah, it was sad coincidence mm-hmm. that they had had this underway anyway. I've been looking for a copy of this for years. Um, they currently, before this came out, were selling it like $150 for a beat-up paperback. So when this came out, I was on Cloud9. So I'm reading that now, and I'm actually chewing through it, and it's wonderful. So if you like rock and roll memoirs, if you like girl groups, um, if you like women involved with a lot of crazy men, like totally give it a whirl. Um, also stream the Ronettes and Ronnie Spector. And that's pretty much all I've been consuming for the last two weeks. Ro, what about you? I'm trying to think. Uh, I was trying to remember, but I don't think I talked about it when we did Sweeney Todd. Uh, that I watched uh, Metal Lords on Netflix. No, I don't think so. No. I thought it was pretty good. Uh, I'm anyone that knows me knows I am a massive Nick and Nora fan. I've I've there's been times I've watched that movie like two or three times in a row. Like, I'll be doing something, I just have it on repeat. I like, Jeez, all right. I, I, I love that movie. That's my uh, hipster movie choice. I've only ever seen it once, so I, I can't even really recall it that well. I rented it from the, you know, video store back of the day, and that was it, one time. I mean, I really enjoyed it, so of course I was really interested. Like, this is a new movie by the same guy. I uh, knew it, it was pretty good. It was, it was cute. I'm not a metal guy, really, so there was a lot of, like, cameos I didn't understand that I had to look up, because they had had people from like famous metal bands and i was like i i don't know uh i'm trying to think what else just i watched a lot of stuff but a lot of just rewatches. i rewatched like the perks of being a wallflower weird time to rewatch that one when yeah, i saw it on letterbox by the way interesting <laughs> so basically what was going on is uh you know let's make this section even longer so exilia has been a- after me to pare down my Blu-rays. Oh my god, yes, this explains everything. Yes, which we all know I'm, like, terrible at. And I was like, you know what, I'll give it an honest try. And so what happened was I made a two- But wa- yeah, your definition of honest try, we're not even gonna go there. Didn't you only cut, like, 20? No. Out of that picture? So, <laughs> so, so the ones I fully cut, I'm looking at the pile now, 
I think there's eight, and most of them are part of series that all. You said twenty, Colton. Twenty. I this know. Bitch I thought then, I was low This bitch then is like, eight. I'm defending myself. Eight. <laughs> oh my god. So it, it's stuff like you know, I owned like the Hunger Games, and then the second one, and I was like, yeah, I'll just get rid of it because I'll just find a cheap box set of all of them at some point. And it was, mm-hmm. it was stuff like that, like, uh, you know, like, I only own the first Jurassic Park, and I was like, oh, I'll just buy, like, a, the box set once the new movie comes out. Yeah, they'll definitely have one. So I need another pile of uh, stuff that we wanted to rewatch, that Exilio wanted to rewatch, or I wanted to rewatch, maybe stuff I bought, I watched once and never saw it again. Uh, so Perks of Being Wallflower was one of those things. Uh, and yeah, I, I mean, I thought it was okay. I think it had a weak ending, but uh, I have no sentimental attachment. I never read the book. Like, I don't, I, I've only ever seen the movie. I have sentimental like attachment to the it? book. I, okay. I can't even talk about it. I can't even talk about it. I gave it a three so, on so letterbox out of ten no oh, out, out of five, five. Okay. Out of five yeah. <laughs> like, i was gonna say I, I actually think the movie's great but i haven't uh read the book either so yeah um, I, it's I actually Ezra as Miller faithful sucks, an adaptation but... as you can get because the guy that wrote the book wrote the screenplay and directed the movie yeah okay so so you like the movie too then mike or i did i really like the movie okay. um all right now i like it was something that i read i mean listen i'm and old, but like I did read it when I was much younger, and uh, it was something that was recommended to me like feverishly by <laughs> hilariously somebody I met online like years ago back back in the early days of social media. And um, I really loved the book. And then years later, when the movie came out, I remember going to it by myself <laughs> and sitting in the theater. And I had it had been years since I had read the book because there was like a big gap between when the book came out and when the movie came out mm-hmm. and i had kind of forgotten about the like kind of end of it and the i don't know if you want to call it the twist or just the i was gonna say the, the whole, twist yeah yeah the, the amp, twist right? you know yeah. i i had for whatever reason maybe because it was triggering was <laughs> repressed and then i remember sitting in the theater and i was like absolutely like just sobbing and losing my shit and now yeah. i feel like years later I, it's it's probably I haven't rewatched it in years and years and years, but I feel like if I did, I might find it problematic. But I'm also kind of afraid to rewatch it because I don't want to discover things in it that might not be great. You know what I mean? Do you, yeah, do you ever, do you ever read... have that? Because we were talking about this before the podcast began about, yes. yeah. um, you know, finding things like rewatching things and finding them to be very, very problematic and. And mm-hmm. this is one of those cases where I don't want to rewatch it because I feel like I might actually find things in it that that do like trigger me. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, it's been a long time since I uh, saw it as well. I think it was like 2015 or 2016, maybe yeah. when I last rewatched it. So it's been a while. But yeah, no, I know I really liked it at the time. But sorry, keep going, Rowan. We <laughs> we jumped in. We derailed that as segment. usual. <laughs> yeah, no, that was bad. <laughs> I'll just say them quickly. So I watched that. Uh, I rewatched uh, Get Shorty and Be Cool because I hadn't seen those in years. Get Shorty, like, ages, like, fine wine. Like, it's hilarious from start to finish. I love Get Shorty. Be cool. Not so much. Uh, that, that's, it's terrible. It's really, really bad. Okay, was Be Cool the one with Uma? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Get Shorty was the one with Rene Russo. Yeah. Gotcha, okay. Yeah, Get gotcha, Get Shorty's yeah. got, like, Gene Hackman, like, the cast is yeah. incredible. Younger John Travolta. Like, John Travolta, yeah, 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 yeah. Be Cool was a paycheck movie for everybody. Yeah, and so, uh, 
I also watched, uh, I thought a funny one we watched was uh, DuckTales the movie. Exilia's favorite movie as a child. And like all of these like older Disney movies, like I have no connection to them because I didn't watch Disney as a kid really. So it was horseshit. It was just terrible. <laughs> it wasn't made for me. There, there's like a lot of subtle racism in it uh, just because we're like in the 80s. For some reason, they just call everyone sand rats. Which is like, you're like, oh yeah. Really? Yeah, like it's, (laughs) it's just, and I know they try to get away with it because they're like, oh, like a lot of the animals are rats that live in the sand, but you can tell that it's just said with some hatred. Oh man, I was going to defend that movie, but never mind. Go ahead, Rowan. It's been way too long (laughs) since I've seen that, but yeah. Go keep going. I was gonna say they intersect with you, Colton. I watched for the first time Sonic the Hedgehog, the first one, and I liked it. I thought it was fun. Your letterboxed review made me crack up because you were like, "What a great performance by Jim Carrey!" Yeah, I I thought it. I thought it was great. Like, I think like a great movie for Jim Carrey, just to like you know, I know he's really on the wholesome role in the last bit. So you know, for a kids movie, like I went in not expecting to like it, and I was like, you know like it's a cute movie like i was just like yeah that was uh cool i rewatched nice. hot shots the other night loved it i, I messaged both of you guys about it hot shots that you know, i was gonna say that like i've never been prouder of you loved it i'm like how do i not own this movie like Every time I see it, I love it. Uh, you know, if you haven't seen Hot Shots, it's ma- it's a national lapoon type movie, but it's making like fun of Naked to- Gun. Yeah, yeah na- that kind of vein. Uh, it's it's just Top Gun, except actually good and super funny. Yes, because it stars Charlie Sheen instead of Tom Cruise. Yeah, I mean, both extremely problematic. I was gonna say, is that an upgrade or I, I don't know? It's anymore. no, it's not an upgrade, but it's a lateral <laughs> yeah. move. It's a lateral move. They're go. both pieces yeah, of shit, fair. but. Yeah, and then uh, my last two, uh, I watched Casper: A Spirited Beginning. I had bought it on VHS because I own all the Casper stuff on VHS, and it, yeah, it was dog shit. This was the movie that came out immediately, like a year after the big budget Casper. I, I didn't realize big budget Casper didn't make any money really. So basically, Universal immediately sold the rights to Saban, and I mean, we oh, all okay, we all know what that means. So it went direct to video. There's random gratuitous shots of all the kids playing with their Power Rangers figures. (laughs) It's a paycheck movie. Like, there's, like, Rodney Dangerfield, Pauly Shore. It's just anyone that's anyone in the direct-to-video market just made an appearance. Bad jokes. It wasn't good. And the only thing I really wanted to kind of emphasize was, so I watched District 9 for the first time. The first person left in the world that hadn't seen District 9. I remember this coming out like it was like a phenomenon. Like, Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was very big when it came out. I had thought about rewatching it simply because uh, when Demonic came out, which was Neil Blumkamp's newest movie, I actually did. Uh, I didn't like love that movie, but I like some of the ideas in it, some of the, the atmosphere in it. So I was kind of interested. I was like, I got to go see district nine and i i came across it for like two bucks at like value village like on blu-ray and i was like sure and uh yeah i didn't hate it i i was actually pretty surprised at first i was like oh i i feel like this is gonna be pretty bad and then as it went on i i was i was into it i was into it that movie had a great marketing campaign where essentially it was just all 
like all the trailers were looked like found footage. Yeah. And I had like a mockumentary campaign. And I remember when I saw it, I like I was blown away by the movie just because I think it was like a pretty low budget movie at the time, despite having all these, you know, these prawns, the aliens, and they got some pretty big like energy weapons and whatnot in yeah. the movie. Some crazy gore effects that yeah, when that movie first came out, I watched it uh I think I like pirated it and burned it off on a DVD. Watch it like <laughs> shit quality. Oh my god, but, uh, big mood, big mood. Yeah, no, it was just like we were having a movie night, right? Had the friends over, had it pirated, throw it up on the TV, and uh, yeah, no, I I loved that movie, but I haven't seen it since probably 2009, 2010, whenever it came out. And like you know, I didn't see it back then, but I'd say it aged pretty well. Like I was expecting, I was like, these aliens are gonna look like dog shit, and it really doesn't look that bad. I was like, this is actually awesome pretty impressive i was pretty pumped to see that but uh i i think that is all i will talk about uh today so we can get in to dracula (laughs) from 1931 we'll get in the trailer and uh we'll come back with that uh suckalicious bio i am dracula There have been numerous remakes, but none have captured the gothic terror of the original. I bid you welcome. Bela Lugosi is Dracula. Dracula was directed by Todd Browning and written by Garrett Ford, and the story is as follows. After hypnotizing a British soldier named Renfield, the dashing and mysterious Count Dracula takes up residence in London. London, not London. (laughs) London. (laughs) London. London calling. (laughs) Uh, Sucking the blood of young women and turning them into vampires. Uh, When he sets his sights on Mina, the daughter of a prominent doctor, vampire hunter Van Helsing will stop at nothing to put an end to the Count's never-ending bloodlust. So, we have to ask the question... Is this your first time seeing Dracula nineteen thirty from 1931, or uh, are you not telling the audience? Are you a vampire, and you actually saw this in the theater when it came out? Ooh. Let's start with you, Mike. Well, I am 400 years old. <laughs> but, you don't look a day over 399. But thank you. I can always count on you to compliment. Um, <laughs> I still, for some weird reason, even though I'm... 399 wink wink years old i have never seen this i'm gonna call it the og iteration of dracula like like let's face it this is this was like the first like you know there have been many iterations over the years even before this but this was like the one this was like the pop cultural milestone and i just feel like so awful that I had actually never seen it because I actually watched this with a friend of mine earlier and I was saying how I've read the book twice and I really love it um I've seen dozens of iterations of it over the years you know your Bram Stoker's Dracula's your you know Dracula dead and loving it and you know Dracula 2000 and blah 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 and you know whatever like there's just far too many named Dracula episodes of TV like Buffy and everything but for whatever reason yep (laughs) never saw the (laughs) the iconic you know career making genre making let's face it Bela Lugosi version let me let me correct you there uh as someone that watched 8 million featurettes uh (laughs) there was an argument that it's Bela Lugosi (laughs) you Rowan, 
you really gonna come for my pronunciation coming. on a word? Coming. Is this is this is this your? Are you doing this because Exilia is not here to jump down your throat with me? I know. That's no, what you're it, doing. You're just you're it's just trying I, to attack I, me I right now. I always say Bella Lugosi, and Exilia was in the room when I was watching the documentaries, and she just kept being like, "It's Bela Lugosi." And I was like, what are you talking about? Okay, well, I'm just going based on the iconic song by the band Bauhaus. So (laughs) you could like me, first of all. (laughs) Step off. (laughs) Anyway, so I was very, very glad to finally have a chance to watch this version of it because I just feel like it was one of those things that you felt like you had seen because it was so iconic and it had saturated pop culture and like, every aspect you know what i mean like every every time you think about dracula and like horror it's like a meme almost you know what i mean like everybody yeah. kind of knows it they know the oh, visuals yeah. Yeah. they know the like there's a few lines in it that are really legendary that get repeated all the time and like made fun of so it was really nice to actually just sit down and watch the og sort of like crystallized version that pretty much everything since the thirties has come from. So that's, that's, that's my experience with this, which was done at all until today. And I loved it. So spoiler alert. Spoilers. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm uh, very much the same thing, Mike. Uh, obviously the universal monsters are very well known. I've seen a uh, Frankenstein and bride of Frankenstein. But uh, other than that, I haven't seen, you know, the invisible man or creature from the black lagoon or, and now I haven't seen Bela Lugosi's Dracula. It's going to be Bella Lugosi to me. Come on. Of course. Uh, But I didn't see it until the other night. Obviously, as I was watching it, from just knowing all of, uh, you know, Bram Stoker's Dracula, having to read that in high school and seeing how many times this has been parodied and like brought into pop culture. It was a little bit of a a deflating watch to a certain degree because I basically knew everything. I was just kind of watching it unfold the entire time. I was like, oh, the bad impressions of his Count Dracula are kind of, you know, that is kind of what he was acting like. You know, It's not a bad impression. It's actually a good impression of a bad acting, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I was like, some of these are spot on. Uh, but no, it was it was my first time watching. Uh, I have a really hard time watching movies uh, made back in the day. Like I'm looking at my letterbox here. I only have a handful of things that I've ever seen from the 30s. Like I've seen Fritz Lang's M. And then, like I said, there's Snow White and, you know, you Gone can't, with And the you Wind. can't compare M to, to Dracula, right? Like, <laughs> no, but like I've only seen a couple of things from that old, right? So it's like, yeah, no, it's uh, it was interesting to watch something this old. I'm, I'm glad Rowan chose it. But uh, yeah, it was my first time seeing it. What about you, Rowan? Yeah, so I mean, like I, I said, uh, you know, when I announced the pick, I, I've never seen this. This is, you know, one of my blind spots in, in my horror watching is the whole universal, really just old stuff in general. You know, and similar to Colton, I've only ever seen Frankenstein. Uh, I do believe I've seen Creature from the Black Lagoon. I do know I okay. used... I do know when I was a kid, I owned it on VHS, but I can't like, I tell people I haven't seen it because I can't remember ever watching it. I'm sure I did at some point, but yeah, like I, I'd never seen this, you know, I'm repeating what everyone else is saying. Like, you know, I know the iconography uh, that Mm -hmm. this has created and, and, you know, the importance to horror in general uh, that, you know, Dracula, and and I agree, Mike, we're just going to say Bela Lugosi, obviously. You know, just the icon he is and how 
even as an actor and, and, you know, just a personality has influenced horror in the genre. You know, I was excited to watch it. And unlike uh, Mike, I'll, uh, I'm going to save how much I loved it or didn't love it till later. But yeah, mm. that was my first experiences. So we know where we're going to start. Our favorite scene, our favorite kill, which is a little harder when you get into the 30s. We'll start with you, Mike. What was your favorite scene, favorite kill? Okay, um, I have many because while it was a, a bit of a slow burner, which is not a drag, um, because, of course, the book kind of, you know, has its waves, of course. My favorite scene was when you're kind of getting to the end and they're in Carfax Abbey, and they're descending that, like, spiral kind of staircase. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And everything about that, like, the shots and just the, the set and the, like, tension at that point, even though you know what's happening, again, because even if you haven't read the book, like, you... You've seen it parodied trillions of times in pop culture, but like, and the costumes, everything everybody was wearing, I just thought it was so well done. And I remember like literally gasping when I was watching this with my friend. I'm like, the scene is so beautiful. Like the staircase is beautiful. The acting is really good right now. Um, Like there's some really good tension. Like I like the way everything is shot. And I just thought it was very artful scene. Um, And you know, it's kind of like leading up to like, the climax of the movie and you know Renfield <laughs> dies spoiler alert and you know gets pushed down the stairs and it's kind of lame but also like really cool and I just thought everything about that scene was like and the descent to me like I love it's so fucking stupid but like I love this like literal manifestation of like descending when you're like about to like confront the terror and it's like you have to go down yeah. uh, that just always like destroys me in movies like that gets me every fucking time by the way make a movie where when they're going down to defeat the evil they have to like literally go down up uh, the whole movie the descent by the way literally 90 minutes of me getting my rocks off to that but like i just love it i love it and that i guess that to me is why i love that scene i just think everything about it is like really beautiful and well done and it's well shot and like for 1931 i was just looking at it and i'm like this is wonderful i love it um, it's not a, really a kill scene, although it leads up to one. So I don't know. What do you think, Colton? Here's your pick. Yeah, I, I think uh, the Renfield when he dies, that would probably be my second favorite scene. Uh, for me, when I was watching this movie, the first, like, I think about 30 minutes, basically when we're leading up to get to London. Yeah, I think that part of the movie is like literally like spellbinding. Like I, I was telling Rowan that I have no notes for this movie at all because it was kind of like the first 30 to 40 minutes I was just watching like kind yes. of dazzled by it yep. and then by the end i was kind of like okay i don't really have anything to make notes of i was like i it's fine i could probably remember whatever i need to discuss but i would probably say the the most like uh the image that's like in my head the most is like when they land in london and the ship is just like everyone on the ship isn't really there and they open up the doors like to go down beneath and renfield is at the bottom of the stairs like kind of looking up at i guess the policeman or whoever's on the boat inspecting it i i love that shot of him below decks like looking up at them yeah once again doesn't involve a kill per se but uh that's probably the image in the movie that kind of stands in my mind yeah. the most other than just some beautiful backdrops or the staircase scene as mike already said i'd say renfield yeah. like below decks is probably my favorite shot slash little scene 
for sure. I feel like uh, we both are like like in love with those set pieces, and um, yes, you know, I think that's like also sort of a like manifestation of the way they shot movies at the time and you know like with the painted backdrops and stuff because it's so funny because i was watching this with somebody who does not watch a lot of old movies and he said like i kept saying oh my god like i love the scene i love the the shots i love um the mm-hmm. set and the backdrop and i remember at one point he went it kind of looks like they're acting in front of paintings and i was like they are <laughs> see you don't realize <laughs> right but i yeah. just thought that was so cool because it's like it has that painterly artistic static feel to it which is kind of cool because yeah. it's like you're acting it's like movement in front of stasis which is like i don't know it's like something that you don't really get these days you know what i mean like oh, it's yeah, this no, weird I, I know jarring juxtaposition yeah. Yeah. yeah what do you think ro but me and colton have a uh, pretty close together favorite you know scenes or favorite All like right. like you said it's hard with kills i mean we're in the 30s so you know we're not this isn't uh friday the 13th movie you know and it's just getting their throat slashed but i love the shot where uh the ships landed and then we get the shadow of the captain fro- yeah. frozen to the wheel i I just love love that shot you know it, horror and we you know we've talked about it so many times throughout the podcast like you know great horror can uh you know make something kind of grotesque and and unsettling without having to show it and just imply it and I thought they did like a really good job there where like I know my mind was just like oh like I I wonder what the captain actually like looks like you know is his body drained and like but I never get you never get to see it so your mind's yeah. just like because you can tell by the you know the cops are saying like how horrifying it is and and just yeah I, I love everything about that scene yeah by by not showing it you're like your mind is left to run wild right and just fill it in yourself that's why sometimes with horror movies it's better just not to show the monster or uh the presence or whatever it is at all right because kind of yeah. once you show it it kind of relieves the tension whereas in this obviously it was a you know a part of the times they couldn't show like just gory <laughs> yeah, yeah and whatnot on screen but they definitely do a good job of uh still building up tension without showing the explicit deaths for sure yeah it works in its favor like you know you got to look at it it's like obviously they didn't have the means and the technology and the budget and all that but like holy shit it fucking works like it really works like i was watching it and they kept you know having everybody faint and then cut away and it's like you know they just got turned to a vampire you know what i mean after like the first time and it's so brilliant mm-hmm. i was like oh my god i fucking love this every time that happened i'm like Whoa! like i was like literally like squeeing <laughs> like a kid like i'm like oh my god she's a vampire now you know what i mean and it was i just like it, it's so artfully done like i know and again it's like making art out of your limitations it's like taking your limitations and going we can work with this and i feel like they worked with it <laughs> you know what i mean that's yeah, like what, to me that's talent yeah what's crazy about it too is like when i was watching it i don't know how much of like the filmmaking language was kind of like commonplace back in the 30s like mm-hmm. i don't know if people knew about the rule of thirds or how you divide the frames like interestingly with like the foreground midground background and whatnot but as i was watching this movie i was like so much of this movie actually feels modern in the way that it's shot like obviously you have static shots it's pretty much all filmed on tripods or you know a yeah. couple 
couple of slight camera movements, but I don't know, just the composition of the scenes were very interesting. Like, like everything like felt very modern to me. Like, obviously I'm going to reference like Robert Eggers, The Lighthouse, but obviously it's filmed <laughs> in a very similar, obviously aspect ro- ratio. And obviously he's throwing back the movies like this, but like, yeah, it reminds me of like, you have a lot of interesting room in just a little square on the screen. So the fact that they like pack it all in and that it's also interesting uh especially in black and white it was something like the entire movie even when it kind of gets bogged down a little bit with the narrative i i enjoyed and i was gonna say just like i've kind of vocally expressed and i know when exilly was on the podcast she expressed like i'm never really that excited to watch like a black and white old movie in general you know let alone a horror movie and and like you colton like when i was watching it i I was just like, it's like, this movie slaps. Like, I was like... I I was surprised, yeah. Yeah, like, and I don't know if it was like, you know, I I have a newer... I was watching on, like, one of the newer Blu-ray releases, so it looked really good, and it sounded really good, and I was just like, yeah, surprised, like, you, how modern everything felt, and I was just, you know, like, wow, like, there's shots and stuff that people are still using and you know these guys you know invented essentially and and i think it was really interesting because especially compared to what i know about like frankenstein and some of the other universal characters like there's basically no music in this you have that swamp swamp like two in the beginning and then there's like one other which uh, that was I like literally melted and then that was it. Like, I mean, you know me, like it's the same as like you, the music is like such a huge element. And I was like, Oh my God. I was like sitting there like creaming myself during that opening sequence. And then after that, it's like a nothing. (laughs) And it was literally like 80 minutes into the movie. And I was like, Oh my God, there has not been any music since. And I have not noticed it at all because I was just completely sucked in by like every other formal element of this film. Well, and I was going to say like no music and really not a lot of dialogue. Like there's a lot of shots and scenes facial shots shots of like the eyes that are just silent and i know you know like i said we already pre i think we've already pre-warned but i'm gonna be like the human fact machine for this episode because i watched so much extra stuff about it because that's how interested i was but like uh todd browning apparently was like a massive silent film director like that was his bread and butter and i think they were saying this is was his first uh you know they call it talky picture and Mm -hmm. apparently he was like really worried about that because he didn't know how to use sound and uh the reason there is no music is he thought music would be distracting the people and they wouldn't like the film because music would be too overbearing in film. It's interesting because I, I can see that, that he doesn't know really where to put the music in the movie because it is something I noticed for sure just because of the fact that it wasn't silent. It wasn't yeah. like white noise. It was just like room tone the entire time. It was almost like yeah. you'd hear like the cameras rolling yes. almost. Yes, yeah, right? yeah, like, yeah. Like a yeah, hum, so a it, constant it, hum. Exactly, yeah. right? So it, it wasn't completely silent like modern movies when they make the choice to basically be like, 
okay, we're going to have like white noise or room tone here. It was just like actually <laughs> the room tone as they were filming most of the time. So I noticed it for sure. And I do wonder with a score in it, 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 I mean, I feel like it would still work if it had a score in it. I don't think it would really detract from what I saw, in my opinion, at least. But, yeah, well, and I, I had brought up I brought up to Colton like uh, earlier today that I, I didn't get a chance. Uh, I'll talk about it more later on in the podcast. So I actually watched this film twice uh in a row i watched the original and then i watched the spanish version uh but i said i had noticed on the blu-ray that there's actually a 90s version that philip glass came in and did i literally just found out about this (laughs) yeah yeah so i went back i i went on spotify like the soundtrack is there to listen to and um i can't remember the name but he did it with like an orchestra and you know he said he wanted to make it music of the time that would have been in a film uh but it sounded pretty incredible and but i will say that i think it would be fine but i think i prefer this more because i think the silence works like it created that creepy atmosphere where just yeah like the looks and the silence and it's that unsettling silence where you know we're getting like these bella lugosi looks and you're like well well, what's gonna happen and yeah like it it just incredible okay i was gonna say as i was watching it i was wondering if like dracula was well known at the time like did basically everybody who saw this movie knew it was a vampire movie already or was there actually like surprise to it as i was watching it because obviously it's incredibly hard to kind of distance myself from that as i was watching it because it's like oh it's so obvious that count dracula is dracula right he's a vampire but i did like the section with like the village folk in the beginning of the movie as well like where they were kind of warning him not to go up there and you know oh don't go at night and all that stuff it was really well done that i was like i wonder at the time were people like privy to that information or were you know were they surprised by the vampire slant to this because that'd make the movie so much better if you didn't know what was going on right but well it's funny because i i was thinking the same thing um and it's like they were saying you know instead of sort of alluding to the fact that like the driver doesn't want to go up to that castle you know Mm -hmm. and kind of like being cagey about it and not yeah. wanting to say why. They literally, right at the very beginning of this, came out and were like, that's Dracula's castle. He's a vampire. He sucks blood. His brides are up there. You know, and they literally just like spilled everything at the beginning. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> wow. Like, I was not expecting that. Like, I was literally waiting for it to be like a half hour into the movie before there was any even allusion to the fact that, you know, Dracula's a vampire. But they like literally just to quote an old friend of mine, blew their wad too soon. (laughs) Like right at the beginning, they just like blew their wad. They were like, this is, here we go. And I thought that was a really interesting choice. So it's funny that you bring that up because I, I was watching it and thinking they literally just came out and said like, he's afraid to go up there because he's a vampire. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And I was going to say like, I feel like probably, you know, I mean, this is definitely North America's first exposure to vampires, really. Because, like, I know, uh, you know, Nosferatu was way, was before this. 
Yes. Um, yeah. And then there was another one, uh, Dracula, Hakalaka. It's like in a different language that it's actually okay. it's actually credited as the first uh, like Dracula movie. I can't remember if it's Hungarian or it's like it's from another country, but I believe the the vampire in that the Dracula figure is very similar to Nosferatu, where. It's uh, you know, it, it's a more grotesque, like older monster. But yeah, like the Nosferatu is based more on the like Eastern European folklore than yes. the Dracula from the novel. Yeah. Which is yes. also based yeah. on your Eastern European folklore, yeah. Which is funny because you've got all these like different kind of like cultural aspects intersecting at once. You've got like the text that it's based on, but you've also got all of the like cultural baggage and shit yeah from these like different european cultures like all coming at you at once well and, and shout out to the germans they were on their piracy game far before us on limewire and pirates bay limewire you did not just say that i was having a conversation about limewire with someone like four days ago i was like man i killed two computers when i was growing up with limewire man i used to use kazaa oh kazaa yes thank you we were trying to remember yeah. the names of them i said guys what was the ones other than limewire i remember kazaa and they were all talking about bear share and I'm like, what the fuck is Bear oh, Share? I, I was LimeWire, Kazaa, and, uh, you know, uh, what was it? There was another one, yeah, that had, like, a big A as a logo, but I can't remember what it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I was going to say, because, like, I didn't realize uh, until I was watching the documentaries and stuff. So, like, the, the Germans had, like, zero rights to do Nosferatu. They just, like, straight up jacked it from dracula and apparently that was why like for a long time like apparently nosferatu like you couldn't see because they got shut down because they got sued uh just because they had zero rights to so it. is it in a yeah is it an adaptation of stoker's novel uh nosferatu i'm not familiar enough with it i've never seen it yeah from my understanding that's basically where they got like their source material from and then oh okay they basically got caught. They got caught pirate, and they got the email sent to them, cease and desist. Oh, so no. uh, for a while, it got shut down. So this was like kind of a big deal because this was the first like legitimate, uh, you know, leasing of Dracula, which you well, know. Like, then there's there's so many like cases about like how Dracula kind of like pilfered from other cultural. Yeah, it's just such. I, I say this because unfortunately, and thank God for you guys, it was a million years ago. I took a quote Gothic literature course with North America's number one, actually though apparently the world's number one Dracula scholar. <laughs> The whole course, it was about gothic literature, but, like, literally, it was all about Dracula. Um, we read Dracula and, like, Vampire Lestat and Salem's Lot and all these other things. Mm -hmm. um, but, like, we learned all about... We did um, John Polidori's The Vampire with a Y. Vampire Y-R-E. Yeah. Um, who... And that was written the same weekend that Mary Shelley's Frankenstein was written. He was... Um, I want to say it was shelley's like doctor um oh, okay. percy shelley's doctor and when they all went away on that like crazy what i like to refer to as mary shelley's quaaludes weekend <laughs> <laughs> where they just did drugs and like made up crazy like stories 
apparently like that was that came out before Bram Stoker's Dracula oh, and okay. was sort of the one of the you know it was obviously it was again based on European folklore and legend but like that was one of the direct influences of Bram Stoker on Dracula and so then you have these things where it's like it's just such a tangled web of like what influenced every vampire property yeah. obviously you're looking at everything as influenced by the novel dracula by bram stoker but also you have these other things that bram stoker was influenced by and it's just this huge web of like fuckery and thank god i keep thinking this thank god it was before fucking copyright laws yeah because it's a mess but at least it's a mess that you could go who cares? Whereas now it's like legally everyone be like, we're ticking all the little fucking boxes of every little thing that's similar. Like, who fucking cares? It's this story that like transcends culture and place and time and somehow manages to like infiltrate every weird element of like pop culture like it's on the simpsons it's on you know comedy movies it's in horror movies like it's literally just everywhere oh yeah this this was everywhere that's what i was saying as i was watching it i just knew so much of the movie through like cultural osmosis like Mm -hmm. i don't even know if it's one of those movies where i've seen so much footage from it it's just like i've seen so many scenes just parodied or like put off in different ways or in different movies or referenced right like it's just like i i watched salem's lot within the last year and it's just like oh this shot is very much like referencing like dracula from 1931 that we just watched right it's yeah it was just like everything in the movie felt familiar in in a good way most of the time but also in like a damn i wish i didn't see everything else i wish i watched this first in a way right because you feel tired of it before you actually exactly yeah yes 100 you're like like you're 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 watching it and you're like Oh, cool. This is where they came from. And you're like, okay, anyway, like I've already seen this 20 times. (laughs) Yeah, it's like when you watch like a a modern rom-com. Like, I don't know if you've never seen a rom-com before and then you watch it and you're like surprised by like the meet cute moment or how they broke up halfway through and they got back together at the end. It's like, (laughs) yeah, but like that's obviously established from rom-coms back like 50 years ago, right? So you go and watch one of those and you know every single beat of it and it doesn't really, you don't care about it anymore because you've seen hundred other rom-coms you know yeah it's, it's kind of like i wish i just saw the the grandfather like dracula 1931 before i saw all these other things reference it and parody it because it like i said it, it is a good performance by bella lugosi but it's also like damn i've seen it like made fun of so many times exactly. that when i was watching the movie it was hard to always like pay attention to it you or can't basically take it like, seriously yeah exactly i was because like is this a good yeah. performance actually or like what is this just because i've yeah. seen it so many times like even like <laughs> What is it like Count Chocula or like uh, the Count in like Sesame Street and whatnot, right? It's just like it's literally been there since I've been a child, right? Like it's just like, damn, and all their impressions were pretty spot on too, which was the crazy part. And I I was going to say, I think too, like, uh, you know, if you're like us and you're listening to the episode and you just watch the movie, like one of my big shocks watching it, uh, you know, as you said, Mike, like I think a lot of us have read the book and was coming into this, not knowing that this was more based off the play than the book. Than the book. Yeah. Well, I mean, because the opening scene in the, in the book and the subsequent, like the later adaptations like Bram Stoker and stuff, it's like, 
the Jonathan Harker, but like, yeah, you kind of go back in time in this one and it starts with Renfield. I remember I was talking to my friend and I was like, oh, yeah, oh, this is a like weird Jonathan Harker. And then he's like Renfield. And I was like, Renfield. I was surprised by that, too. Yeah. Yeah. I was I, I actually movie. said I was like, holy shit. Like, I literally said, OK, OK, so I'm not going to tell you that most of my most of my notes have to do with Dracula being a top and everybody around him being a bottom because <laughs> <laughs> of course, any vampire tale is very sexual. And I was looking at this oh, as like is, kind yeah. of a queer, like I was just doing like watching a with reading, my friend. Yeah. Personally, I was doing a queer reading of it. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I said, Jonathan Harker is a Nelly Bottom. <laughs> and then I <laughs> had to make a, yeah, to an it. amendment to it. And I was like, Renfield with like five question marks afterwards. I was like, I totally yeah. thought, because they didn't say his name until, you know, the end of it. And as Colton said, it's a, a stunning opening sequence. It really yeah. is. It's a really, really, really good opening sequence. Like right until he gets into the castle and essentially Dracula, like, you know, takes him. Right. Yeah. But like when he's going through the like village and everything, like, holy fuck, like that is such an amazing opening. But like, it, and it mirrors the opening of like the novel and all of the adaptations since then. But like it flipped it and it totally like fucked me up. And that was really good in a way because I was like, damn, that's Renfield. You know what I mean? And it One of totally, the few surprises like, for sure. Yeah, yeah, it was like it was this weird somehow a like 90 year old movie managed to still pull the wool out from under me like i had, mm-hmm. and i don't i don't think it was on purpose but like because no. because it weirdly because of the cultural osmosis and having read the book and everything i was expecting one thing and damn they like totally fucking fucked me over <laughs> well and and from what i read so that was all like budgetary so the original plan uh when universal got the rights was that it was supposed to be a direct adaptation of the book and then Basically, the studio got scared because they were, they just, you know, horror wasn't a thing. And they were just like, we're, we're not, you know, we can't give that kind of money to something, this genre we know nothing about if anyone's going to go see it. Mm-hmm. So then, then they were like, okay, then we'll do the play and it simplify it down and all that kind of stuff. I do want to get, you know, we've already shouted him out like three times, but uh, yeah, Renfield, the guy that plays Renfield. Oh, like so good. Fantastic. Damn, he's probably so the best I, actor in that movie. <laughs> I was just about to say, everyone talks about Bella Lugosi, but no one talks about Dwight Fry, who I, I think is the best actor in the movie too. Like just yeah. the way he changes from kind of being like a, I don't know, a gentlemanly figure to like just this like creature by the end of the movie. He is so good. He gives me like, um, God, like psycho vibes. Like, uh, I, God, who, what, what is the name of the character oh. in Psycho? Come on. Like, Norman Bates. Norman Bates? Yeah, Norman Hang Bates. On. He gives me Norman Bates vibes. And his face is like so expressive that I was I just like, I think I'm about to blow your mind. So go, go for it. Meld, meld Norman Bates. Okay. Hang on now. Wait. Here we go. We're talking about origin stories with the Joker. Yes, yeah, I can see Renfield yeah. is the Joker of Dracula. This is the Joker's origin story. Yeah. We his, were watching it and my so friend expressive. said like, he yeah. kind of reminds me of the Joker. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm looking at it. He's contorted. He was really good. Like his facial yeah. expressions were like really over the top. And like, and I mean, this was like a really handsome person. Like that actor was like a very, very like, good looking, very traditionally handsome, like clean cut, which is weird for Renfield. You expect him to be like, you know, in the asylum and like just 
talking to rats and like you know mm-hmm. just like an absolute mess but like this was a really like clean cut like even when he was like escaping the asylum and stuff it's like damn like this is a really good looking person and it's like fuck but he's like the joker he is so the joker of bram stoker's dracula <laughs> Oh, no, I completely agree. And I think uh, in the black and white, like, photography, the cinematography in the movie, like, it really helps his facial expressions. Like, you see, like, kind of, like, the shadows and the creases of his face. It gives, like, a monstrous look to it. It's, like, I was surprised by his performance. Like I said, everybody talks about Bela Lugosi. Everyone mimics him and parodies it. But, like, I was honestly like, damn, Renfield's my favorite part of this movie. Oh, Renfield, absolutely. Well, I mean, he probably had more screen time than than dracula right so when you yeah think about i'd say it, like, if you i'd say it's pretty equal at least yeah yeah i just think it's criminal that he doesn't get as much like you're right it's totally criminal that he does not get as much like credit i've never heard anybody mention that guy's name before no. when i was watching it and i'm watching it yeah and it's yeah. like holy fuck how is everybody not talking about this character like he's amazing yeah. i do want to talk I mean, I feel like we got to talk. Let's talk uh, Bela Lugosi for a second. Icon. Uh, Dracula. Just iconic. So, not the first choice for Dracula. Uh, Lon Chaney was supposed to play Dracula. Oh, wow. Okay, that's that would have been really good. So, uh, Lon Chaney died before they uh, filmed this. Which I, I think was interesting because... Uh, Apparently, uh, Todd Browning was very, like, his best friend was Lon Chaney. And, uh, okay. and apparently he was a absolute terror uh, filming this. Uh, he went into, like, an alcoholic depression uh, filming this. Would just walk off the set and leave. Which is why, like, if you go to Wikipedia or anything, not, like, any other place... They have uh, Carl Freund as an uncredited director who was the the cinematographer just because basically most of the film, he would just walk off set and then old Carl had to direct the movie. (laughs) Yeah, and what was that? Was it just him in, like, his depression, like, after his Yeah, like, he was just so upset about Lon Chaney. Yeah, I can see that guy. Like, I I wasn't familiar with him. I just clicked on, like, the Wikipedia page. I can see him playing Dracula as well. He has a very good face for it, from what I see here. Yeah, uh, and from my understanding, too, was uh, if Lon Chaney was going to play Dracula that the plan was it was going to be more of a Nosferatu grotesque person, just because Lon Chaney, that's what he was, like, known for, was, you know, makeup and more ghoulish characters. Okay. Which, which I think, you know, it, like a lot of the movie magic, right? I think it's just, like, dumb luck that he, you know, died. Because, like I said, I, I did want to talk about, you know, Bella Lugosi obviously is like you know the the biggest icon from this movie and like you know I I probably safe to say like top three biggest horror icons of all time like when you see him you know it's Dracula like even just pictures of him in his normal life he looks like Dracula yeah as I was watching it though like we've already kind of touched on it a little bit where I I couldn't determine always if it was a good performance or not just because of you know just how iconic it is when i was watching it it did almost seem like a performance from like the silent era though it was definitely like really over the top like just like the hand movements and like the creeping you know towards people and whatnot It, it is like very silly in retrospect like knowing 
what we know nowadays but at the time i bet it really worked it was something like just as a modern audience when i was watching it i was like man this guy is playing it so over the top but obviously yeah i i thought the same thing i was like this is a silent performance moved into sound right and it's like you you can tell it's like a holdover right and and interestingly enough this is his this was his second time playing dracula because oh really he uh he actually played dracula in the stage play before they made the movie uh and since lon cheney died i he had basically been like fighting for this role and he's like listen i already played dracula like on stage it's like this sold out show, like it's been running forever. And it, it was just kind of the default. Uh, they were like, ah, I guess. And, you know, kind of tragic that I was reading, like he got paid like less than anyone in this movie. They just paid him terribly. Yeah, I think I read that it was $500 a week or something yeah. like that oh for seven God. weeks. <laughs> yeah, which I mean, is probably a lot of money in 1931. Like we did the calculations, but it's also like woefully underpaid for on a movie of this size, right? And the star, right? Yeah, well, Probably. and, like, the guy that plays, uh, what's that character, the, like, Harker or Harkin or whatever? Jonathan Harker. Jonathan Harker? Like, yeah. I, yeah, I was reading, like, that actor, like, he got paid, like, $2,000. Yeah, Jonathan is a he nothing burger. He was barely in, in it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was so funny to go from bram stoker's where he's like such a big character to this where yeah like, he's yeah, like he's essentially like him and dracula are like the two main characters yeah exactly but i was gonna be say like just watching this for the first time like i feel like maybe i felt like a teenage young girl in the uh 1930s because bella with the sex appeal like bella was pretty pretty hot for the day okay honestly we did have that conversation too and it was like Bella Lugosi could get it. I mean, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes when he was a bit over the top with the like facial expressions, it was like, eh, this is a bit cornball. But again, if you look at it from like, this is obviously transitioning from like the silent era. You know, I mean, everybody in it was really good looking. Like, honestly, like Jonathan was, you know, they were all a bit like Faye or whatever, but like, you know, they were all handsome and like the, like Mina and Lucy were like, you know, just like gorgeous. Oh my God. And fucking Mina's, <laughs> we have to talk about Mina's wardrobe. Every scene she was wearing a new beautiful like nightgown or like this beautiful gauzy dress. And it's like, fuck, everybody looked so good in this movie. <laughs> like everybody was so hot. I was saying I would fuck everybody in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Even the fucking old people. <laughs> Mina was, uh, that that was kind of a fun, like, casting what if. Mina, originally supposed to be Betty Davis. Oh my god, what the fuck? You're blowing my mind right now. Apparently Universal did not like her sex appeal. They did not want that Betty attached Davis? to it. Ugh. Girl, you don't want sex appeal. You don't want somebody wanting to fuck the actor in your movie. Yeah, that's a real, that's excellent box office gold right there. Let's get somebody who they don't want to fuck in our movie. To be fair, I think most people would want to fuck Helen Chandler as well, you know? (laughs) Yeah, well, listen, but like, Betty Davis is like, step on my trachea and crush it. You know what I mean? Like... Have you seen young Betty Davis? Like she would literally, I'd be like, step on my skull and turn it to dust. Yeah. (laughs) 
or frankly, and let's not be ageist here, old Betty Davis. <laughs> I would let old yeah, Betty the, Davis the crush photos me here too. on IMDb. She's a yeah. bit old, so I mean, I'd go with the other one based on these photos. <laughs> but I was gonna say, like, back to my my Bella Lugosi talk. I feel kind of robbed for the modern day because you know I was thinking I was like, you know who really should have played Dracula at some point in his life is uh, Raul Julia. I was like, Bella Lugosi, oh, yeah. just giving me the Raul Julia vibes. But Raul Julia was a little bit too much of a skinny twink. To... <laughs> I get it, trust me, and I'm picturing it now, and it's it actually, I think he would be wonderful. But I'm also like, I don't know, there's something about Dracula, he needs to be like slightly more imposing. Like, I don't know how they had him play in Street Fighter as Bison. By the way, I'm just thinking about that because I've been going back to like these old ass video game adaptations recently. Mm -hmm. And I was like, girl, the casting here was so fucking weird. (laughs) It was so weird. But like, honestly, now I'm thinking about that. And I'm like, he does have that charisma and that like weird, gothic, pale charm. You know what I mean? It's all about the charm. Yeah. I feel like Gomez Adams was just like the trial. Yeah, it, it was like just cur- screaming. It was 100%. Yeah. I feel like we're not wrong in it. Everything I watched that was interesting, even like interviews with, you know, men that had some actors that were on set and had anything to do with Dracula all talked about like all men were intimidated the minute Bella Lugosi was like came on the sets how he was just, like, automatically, like, this sex icon when this came out. And just, like, how powerful of a presence he was. And I think interesting, you know, like I said, we talked about how iconic, you know, he is in this role. Only played him, other than, you know, the his play stuff... Only played Dracula twice. He was only in two Dracula movies. And that was it. And the second time he played Dracula, his career was pretty much done. His career was pretty much done after this movie, from what I was reading. Uh, Like, no one would cast him in any major roles. I I mean, you know, this is... I think we see this more often now with television, right? Like... Yeah. It's just typecasting. People couldn't see him not as Dracula. Mm Mm-hmm. It's that blessing and curse of, like, yeah. you know, just, just doing that, like, where you own a role. Yeah, he had a lot of issues. He came back, uh, they brought him back for the Abbott and Costello uh, Dracula oh, yeah. movie. Yeah. That's the only other time he played him. And, of course, he was, like, older then. So, mm-hmm. you know, he had he had aged quite a bit. I was going to say another interesting kind of what if. Uh, Boris Karloff claims that he actually was supposed to play... Dracula. So what I didn't know was apparently Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff like not fans of each other. They basically were like, uh, you know, if they had Twitter and Instagram, they would just be firing shots <laughs> every day at each other. So it'd be like, which one is Nicki Minaj? Yeah. yeah. Which one is Azalea Banks? That's what I want to know. So who's Azalea Banks and who's Grimes in this situation? Who smells like a roll of nickels? <laughs> Bella Lugosi, after this, uh, screen tested for Frankenstein. Oh. And apparently was, like, laughed out of 
competition. People were like, nah, like, he doesn't look good in makeup. And uh, his entire career until he died, apparently he just publicly always stated that the only reason Boris Karloff was Frankenstein was because that he turned it down. That Boris Karloff should thank him every day for his career. Wow. Yeah, like, some interesting uh, 1930s beef. It's like I, it's like I was in a hip-hop watching a hip-hop beef go down that's real beef if it can last for 90 years <laughs> right? people are still discussing it you know i another thing i wanted to you know to talk a bit about because we briefly briefly brought it up was just like the iconography of this like bats the staircases cobwebs like this is like so you know a lot of this stuff this is the first time we're introduced to this horror aesthetic Mm-hmm. you know in in modern film and i just i think it's amazing like i didn't real i think watching it i didn't really realize like you said because we're just so inundated with all this imagery now that like this is really the first time like america's seen like goth they're seeing this like goth aesthetic yeah. and you know the shock you know i can only imagine if in 1930 like this movie opens and you know my chemical romance is playing this god well i mean and it's kind of like um a i don't want to say this like it sounds like a drag but it isn't but it's kind of like this sort of watered down version of like a german expressionism yeah so it's just funny that like colton brought up fritz lang's am earlier and stuff but it's like Mm-hmm. And like Nosferatu, and that was like all very heightened, like in terms of the aesthetic, and like very abstract. But I feel like this movie married like some of the aesthetics of that with a more like straightforward getting into like the talking pictures Hollywood yeah. version and. I just think that it's like such a great meld of like that old silent expressionistic aesthetic with more of a like leaning towards the like talking pictures of the future, if that makes sense. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I mean, it, it's not really like an art house film, right? It definitely yeah. is more commercial, right? Like I can understand if this movie did well or didn't do well. I don't know. I would assume at the time it did did well. It, it's one of those movies where obviously it's inspired by uh those films that were going on around it but they they gave it like a straightforward narrative that you know they attached bigger actors to it and you know they sold it and it's uh very impressive that they did so and i was gonna say too like i think watching it it was interesting like i'm not sure everything i read or watched kind of would compete with the information that was being given but i mean just kind of you know bella lugosi's like hungarian accent in this role which then shapes anything we think about with dracula now yeah. where like it's not that you know he put on an accent for dracula it's just that was his accent which then affected you know like his speech like when mm-hmm. the infamous scene with you know he's pouring the wine and he's like i don't drink any and then there's like the long pause and he's like wine which <laughs> yeah. which it seems to me like what a, a lot of you know people discuss that i saw was that a lot of his pauses were because he wasn't awesome at english yet and that 
he basically phonetically wrote out the script. That That's a weird one because that almost seems like there was an intentional pause for either comedic effect or for the reason, like, obviously he drinks blood, right? Yeah. So that, that's weird if that was just, you know, like, poor delivery on his part that that happened because I thought that was completely intentional. But yeah, like, like I said, I just think it, it's so interesting that something that's just so, you know, commonplace, like you brought up, like, Count Chocula, like, Count yeah. Chocula talks in this like hungarian accent and you know it's just not like this conscious choice that's written down and you know just more so how iconic it is i can only imagine one of the funnier interviews i watched uh universal like interviewed his son uh which unfortunately also named bella lugosi never gonna live up to that name yeah that's a bad choice and exilia kept being like oh yeah yeah but it's bella lugosi jr and i'm like no there's no junior in his name it's just they have different uh middle <laughs> names so he goes oh, okay. by bella g lugosi oh okay <laughs> does he always does he also work in showbiz or i i didn't Did look you know? him up i I, oh, okay. I i'm not sure he kind of just looked like a normal guy to me gotcha i thought it was kind of interesting that uh and you know i laughed at the antidote he was talking about like seeing this movie in the theater as a kid because i mean obviously like this still plays in theaters like theaters <laughs> still bring this back and he's just, like, talking about, uh, you know, his friends and, like, they go, his classmates would all go. And he was, like, talking about remembering his classmates, like, hiding behind chairs because they were scared to death. And then him just being, like, what? Like, that's my dad. It was, like, the typical, <laughs> like, like, that's my lame dad. Why are you guys scared of my dad? And I was, like, I can only imagine, like, being the son of, like, someone with this iconic of a character. It would be, like... Robert England, like having a son and and, and you yeah, know being like nightmare, yeah. yeah this is just my dad he sounds like that every day I'm more surprised by people actually being afraid of this movie I guess I can see it back in the 30s where it completely there was nothing like this existed but when I was watching it was just like so quaint by modern comparisons you know seeing like the the plastic bat you know the rubber bat being pulled up and down or you know when they look outside and you see the carriages being <laughs> directed by the bat with the horses and stuff it was all just like it just made me smile i was like oh man just simpler times we didn't need to like decapitate anyone and it's funny to hear you talk about how like you're glad like there was restraint in the movie or that there was you know that it was artistically done because you're usually like yeah man i would have liked to see dracula rip off his head you know like (laughs) i wanted to see their entrails spilled out everywhere man I mean, I, I kind of discounted a points. No one no one cut a hole and fucked it. So uh, I was oh, very disappointed. Uh, I did have a question specifically for you, Colton. Yeah. Did this version of Dracula, was this the blueprint for all Netflix horror movie releases? Coming in at that cool one hour and 17 minutes. They they got right I, down I, to business. Yeah, I, I, I wonder, you know, it, I don't think it had a 10 minute credit sequence at the end, you know, to- <laughs> kind of inflate the runtime like all the netflix horror movies but uh i mean i was happy that i was only 70 minutes we haven't really talked about any negatives of the movie at all and like i said for most of it it's very artistic and like i said the first 30 to 40 minutes it was very hypnotic i felt like i was in a trance watching it like his victims but there is kind of a lull in the movie where they start expanding the cast like you know where you start learning about dr seward and van helsing and you bring in jonathan who's just like a nothing burger in this movie as i already said (laughs) yeah so it, it there is like 
like probably about 15 minutes of this movie where I was feeling a little bit sleepy when I was watching it, despite watching it at like seven o'clock at night or something. But I, you know, I am happy that it was only 70 minutes because it picks up again near the end, right? So there's a little it slump does, yeah. in the middle that, you know, I found a little bit dull. Yeah, I don't think Netflix are basing <laughs> any of their decisions off of this movie. If, if half of Netflix's <laughs> movies were as good as this, they'd be in good shape. So I will say a negative for me. I wasn't huge on like the actual ending, like kind of the last two or three minutes. Like I thought that it was, was very of, abrupt. It was it was yeah. very just uh, weak sauce. They they definitely rushed the story, and they're like, yeah, that's that's the end. Uh, that that's all we really need. Yeah, that's like of the times though. Where, yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, where like everything ends abruptly, anyways. I still you know gave it a pass because you know 1931, which I guess this is where like I'll interject kind of. So as I stated at the beginning, so I did watch the Spanish one. Uh, which was included on this disc, uh, which I encourage everyone to go watch. Uh, so it does clock in longer. It's an hour and 40 minutes. Oh my God. Oof. Different actors. Well, nothing like has all, to be that long. <laughs> all Spanish actors, you know, different guy playing Dracula in a totally different way. Do they change the story significantly though? There's more explanation to things. Like, a lot of stuff that they don't explain, they, you know, expand out. I'll be honest, the Spanish one is almost better in a lot of ways. So stuff like the mirror scene is really really expanded out where it's almost like this you know three to four minute scene and there's like all this tension built up the camera is way better like they were way ahead of the americans on how they used camera like it's different angles we're like looking we have like angles looking up looking down at like people's faces it's not just like camera on a tripod like they're actually moving and creating movement with the camera like i said i think the dracula it's not gonna be everyone's taste it's a little campier he always has a smile like this creepy like pedophile smile Oh, great. Like, he laughs and stuff, and it's like, like I said, it feels a little more camp, but stuff like uh, Renfield's death, way more impactful. Like, we actually see the death, and then Renfield, instead of falling down the stairs, is thrown off of the stairs, like, off the edge. And it's just, like, a little more drama, like, a little more dramatic. But the, the reason I wanted to bring up the Spanish one was because this is actually where Dracula rising out of the coffin comes from, not Bela oh, Lugosi. So okay. they actually, in the Spanish one, do that. Yeah, that's an interesting point. That's very iconic. And yeah, you're right. It wasn't in this movie. So yeah, yeah. where in the American one, it just cuts away and then he's standing in front there. Uh, But they had an advantage. It was kind of interesting, like learning about it where so uh, because dubbing was just becoming a thing and most studios didn't know how to handle dubbing, uh, what they would do is shoot different languages at the exact same time. Mm -hmm. So how it worked was the Spanish crew got to use all the sets at night and then Dracula shot during the day and so what would happen is the Spanish crew would come in early and look at the dailies 
from the American ones and then go, well, how can we make this better? So they actually had the advantage of seeing what was being made and then being like, all right, like, let's move the camera and, like, build tension with the camera. Like I said, interesting comparison for anyone that wants to, like, take a look. And the, the hour 40 actually... I felt it felt almost exactly the same as the hour 17. It, it was that much better shot that I was more interested in it. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you say that. It, you know, the way you're describing it makes it seem like it might be more interesting to me. But if there's not really anything else to the story, it winds up being like, a, God, it's a half hour longer. And if they don't add anything, if it's just longer shots, I... I don't know, right? Like, I, I obviously I do like the cinematography and the shot composition and whatnot of this one, but it's it's I don't know if that's enough to make me check it out. I do like that is not dubbed though, because that's a whole reason why I have so much problems with a lot of Italian horror movies, like the yeah. Dario Argento stuff. It's I have a really hard time when the mouth doesn't match up with the, the you know the the vocals, the dialogue. It, it's really distracting to me. And anyone that's worried, I- I'll let you know that in the Spanish one, there's still armadillos that should be rats. So. <laughs> That was my only real pet peeve with That's this movie. That's your only note for the movie? Uh, my, biggest, my biggest note for Bella Lugosi's Dracula was all they talk about were rats, and then all they show us are armadillos. It could have just been rats with, like, helmets on or something. I don't know. I looked it up. It was it, it was armadillos. <laughs> oh, well. Yeah, it was apparently... Right, Apparently they used armadillos because it was, apparently it was like a rumor or something that armadillos were like notorious for like digging in graveyards and stuff. But actually actually it just is a false rumor, but like they didn't know that in 1931. (laughs) So they thought, they thought armadillos like represented like death and decay and rot. Gotcha. Which I do want to give a shout out, uh for scenes that when we first get Dracula in the coffin, they have that cool shot with like the beetle or whatever, with like a mini coffin. Did, like, do you guys remember that? Mm-hmm. I, I, really uh, I that don't shot. remember it. Actually, the beetle with a mini coffin. Yeah. It, it was like, uh, they show the armadillo, like coming out and then and then like they shoot it's just the ground it's like this coffin that's like this you know no one can see okay. me but it's just yeah. like tiny and then there's like this like cockroach beetle that climbs on it it's like the size of this little coffin oh wow no i missed that and it's like a really quick shot it's like half a second and i i was just like oh that's kind of like funny and cool do you guys have any other like major notes you want to uh hit on it no for me we hit on everything i'm i'm just glad we gave renfield his due as as well as bela yeah. Lugu- <laughs> bela lugosi god i can't bela even say his lugosi. name anymore you got me all fucked up yeah. yeah bela lugosi but no i mean as long as we talked about renfield i'm good yeah i, I feel that was kind of my main point too is renfield just icon of the movie mm-hmm. yeah and, and i mean you know there's lots of i'll never discourage anybody i'm sure there's lots of you know youtube videos everything on on you know th- this movie's been talked about so much and you get to hear three guys that just saw it so uh well if we're comfortable with going into rating it uh we'll we'll do that so if you are new to the program our rating system is nay okay yay or slay colton 
Dracula, 1931. Yes. What are you giving it? Yeah, so uh, I think you two were a little bit hotter on the movie than me. I still think it's very good. Like I said, that that first 30 to 40 minutes was completely my vibe. Um, like I said, once we get into London, it slows down a little bit. I'm not sure if we needed all these characters or we need to spend quite as much time with some of them. Although that mirror scene is great. So I, I did forget about that when I was saying that. But yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a yay. For me, like obviously it's iconic. Uh all the backdrops are beautiful. I like the modern cinematography, but it's just kinda, you know, the latter half of the movie wasn't as strong as the first half to me. So I'd I'd give it a yay. I'd be willing to rewatch it again or maybe check out the, you know, the Spanish version and you know, some months, you know, give it a little bit of space. But uh yeah, no, I mean I completely understand why it's kind of you know stayed the test of time what about you mike i will slay it obviously as we've said iconic and it could have run into problems because again as i mentioned earlier i've studied the book so i like i understand that there was a lot of content that they just simply for many reasons mostly technical limitations at the time because it was the 30s did not include and i feel like this was a wonderful hour and 15 minutes you could have easily made it over two hours and included a lot more and it still would have been like a really great movie but i was actually really happy with the trimmings and like adjustments and adaptations that they made with the source material um at times it can be a little bit jarring um because they don't show, like, Dracula, like, actually turning anybody. They show them fainting and then cut to them, like, a day or two later with, like, holes in their neck. You know what I mean? And that can be a bit... You know, there were actually times when, like, like at one point, like, the maid passed out and I sort of, like wasn't really paying attention i'm like oh haha she did a really good job at falling on the floor and then it wasn't until later on when she was like very clearly a vampire and i'm like oh yeah i forgot that she she got turned but like <laughs> uh, but like honestly though for for cutting that much because like dracula is not a short novel especially for like an epistolary no, novel not at all um like there's a lot of material there and i really respect the amount of adaptation and trimming down that they did because again there are some jumps that are a bit jarring but like a lot of film from that era was jarring and jumpy anyway so i feel like i really enjoyed what they did and i thought it was brisk and i was sucked into it the whole time like i was saying to my friend that i was watching it with like i couldn't take my eyes off the screen because i thought the cinematography was really good and the acting like some of it was a bit hammy but it's only like really in retrospect and like knowing that this is like coming off of like the silent era i just thought everything about it was like a sleigh i really want to watch it again um which is like to me a really big contributing factor to like how i feel about a movie like do i want to give it a sleigh do i want to watch it again fuck yeah i want to watch it again i and actually it's funny because i already have plans with several people to watch bram stoker's dracula because now i want it's it's prompted me to go back and like revisit all these other adaptations of the story which to mm -hmm. me is like the ultimate test of how good is it. It's like it prompts me to want to like delve deeper into the the lore and the legend. So what do you think, Rob? Yeah, I uh, 
I'm gonna give it a slay also. I, like, really had a fun time with this. Uh, you know, I followed the the It Slays Cardinal Rule. I did watch this in the evening last night. Good. Finally! Yeah. You didn't watch it at, like, 10 o'clock in the morning. Oh, yeah, geez. so, although I will say, when I watched the Spanish one, it was becoming, uh, Dawn, which also was a great setting for black and white. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I just, I had a lot of fun. This, it blew by, like, the hour and seven really uh i appreciated the length like colton said there is some spots that it kind of dips but i they make up for it there's always things in it i feel that are are worth looking at and you know i'll quickly in this spot mention like as we did mention the review like i also enjoyed like uh the groundskeeper who's like kind of our like comic relief of the film which i think you know i think is is like another trait that we've just has been passed down in the most serious horror yeah. movies. Like, we always have that, like, comic relief something, that Valve. And, you know, I, I thought he did a great job also. It definitely, you know, like I said, I Bella Lugosi just blew my mind. I, I'm waiting. The next It Slays podcast t-shirt, I think, should just be a t-shirt that says... Bella Lugosi is my daddy. Okay, no, listen. Missed opportunity. So, again, talking about the iconic legendary Bauhaus song, Bella Lugosi's Dead, it should just say... Bella Lugosi's dead. Oh, yeah, there you go. Oh, oh come on. Bella Lugosi yeah. is dead. I like that one. Million dollar oh, idea. Million girl, dollar idea. Listen, leave the marketing to me, okay? Swing and a miss, Rowan. Swing and a miss. <laughs> Swing and a miss. Swinging at the side of a barn and just absolutely <laughs> missing. Now, if only we could make t-shirts, we would be millionaires. Or at least we'd sell one of them. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a slay. Like I said, I loved it. I, I loved it so much, like... I I had told Exilia, I was like, I know you hate black and white, but we're definitely going to sit down and watch this because I, I was like, it's good. I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, so like Mike, I'm I'm going to share this with all I can. Anyone I know that hasn't seen this, I'm going to make sure their eyes are on it. Uh, so yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Pretty uh, strong, yay, and two slays. You know, I, I don't think you're going to get probably much better than that. So we told you what our opinion was on it. Uh, we asked you what your opinion was, and only one person cared about Dracula from 1931, which didn't surprise me whatsoever, I'm going to be honest. feel most people are too cool for school with this one, and you guys need to go back to school. But one guy that is uh, cool, <laughs> Christopher, from our favorite podcast every horror movie on netflix road yes yes and said first half is fire second half is boring dude yeah we're on the same page pretty much maybe a little bit harsh i don't know if i'd say all of it's boring but i i get i get the there's a lag there's a lag yeah i get it yeah yeah there's a definitely uh a lag going on there so yeah uh thank you for writing in that nothingness you hear behind me is yet again our empty uh voicemail machine shameful i tried i tried i tried to shame people you guys are shy you guys are shy it's okay one i i'm scared because once the floodgates open i feel then we're like people just stop calling us (laughs) well if you do want to call us in the future you can do so at uh, 1902-418-8620, you know, reach our horrific hotline. And if you're afraid that, like, one of us are going to pick up or something, all it does is it rings once and goes straight to voicemail. So, you know, 
you're not going to accidentally get any of us. And if you fuck up your message, just call again. You know, <laughs> we'll just delete the we'll delete the bad one, you know. So that's where you can reach us at. And uh, yeah, I guess if you'd like to follow us on uh, our socials, you can always do so at It Slays Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Slasher, Letterboxd. Basically everything, if it, it, it all has a chance of reaching an audience, we're probably on there. So yeah, just give us a follow at It Slays Podcast. And Rowan, plug the Spotify. Yeah, so, uh, you know, if you like music, I I mean, I'm definitely going to have to add that Swan Lake 2 on there because that was just a banger. And, and, you know, music from everything. I still got to put the music up from Sweeney Todd. Uh, I think a couple others. I got a list, so I better send that list tonight, actually. But, yeah, uh, go to the It Slays Podcast Horrific Playlist on Spotify and, you know, get your groove on. Just cool music from horror movies and get you in the mood. Uh, we got a long way till October, people. So, you know, get in the spooky mood in May. Why not? But yeah, so all we have left is to announce our upcoming episode. And the pick is going to Mike. Mike, do you want to make the announcement? I sure do. It is Neon demon oh yeah super excited uh and we are gonna have a guest on that one uh our good friend jill will be on the podcast haven't had exilia back yet so i figured we need to get uh some women's perspective honestly jill's a good exilia substitute (laughs) that's right (laughs) so make sure to get your eyes on neon demon and we will be back in two weeks thank you as always for all the support i am your humble host rowan bye it's mike and i'm colton see you later we're going to expand our weekly video segment to take you into the back shelves of your local video store. Back where it says horror videos and where kids are devouring some awful films that we call the video nasties. Are you freebasing inquiring minds want to know? I have to break free from this culture of mechanical reproductions and the thick encrustations dying on the surface. What the front time, bitch! Pain, I can assure you, will be exquisite. As for our deaths, come with me and be immortal. We have such sights to show you. We've got to return some videotapes.